Thanks for joining us here on Service to School Stories. Your hosts for this season are Alec Emmert, Service to School CEO and Navy veteran. And Sydney Mathis, Chief Program Officer and former College Admissions Officer. This season will cover topics as it relates to higher education, military service transition, and career opportunities and outcomes for veterans. Join us as we share student stories, inside tips from the admissions office, and conversations with employers actively hiring student veterans. Here we go. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us here on the Service to School Stories podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to be spending some time talking with John Green. John is a recent Service to School applicant. He left the Navy back in 2022 and had a bit of a longer college application journey than some of the applicants that we work with, which is why we are very excited to have him on the episode today. Um, So John, you signed up to work with Service to School in 2021, and now here you are heading to one of our partner schools this fall. Thank you so much for joining us here on our episode today to tell a little bit about your story um, here on the Service to School Stories podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's quite... uh... Quite the journey to get here today, so I'll be uh, I'll, looking forward to talking about it. Absolutely. So, John, I want to back up a bit. Let's start um, sharing with our listeners a little bit about your military experience. So I'm going to let you briefly introduce yourself, tell our listeners a little bit about why you joined the Navy, uh, about your job, and kind of what your experience in the military was like. Uh, why I joined the military, <clears throat> um, I was trying to sleep through English class, senior year of <laughs> high school, and... Uh, Five guys walked out of class. I asked where they were going. I found out they got to skip the first half of the day to go take some test. Is that the ASVAB? Turned out to be the ASVAB. And next thing you know, I'm in the Navy. So um, that's how that's how I got there. But um, no, it was more of I was excited to make. I saw the look on my parents' face, and my grandpa did 30 some years in the army, and um, wanted to make my family proud. So I joined the military. Initially, was supposed to be a fire controlman that switched and I was a cryptologist, um, which put me in, eventually put me in Texas, um, at the NSA compound there doing like desktop support and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That wasn't really rewarding for me. So I put in application to do a special program, um, screened for it, got accepted, went to Virginia beach where I worked at a research and development command doing, um, technical stuff like uh, communications, interception, and collection, and stuff like that. Yeah. So how long were you in the Navy? Uh, nine and a half years. Okay. So you're kind of like almost halfway to that 10 mark where people are like, either you're going to stay in and do 20 or you're going to get out. At what point did you decide, okay, I'm going to make the transition and I'm going to kind of close this door? That was a tough one. So <clears throat> I looked at it and it, I realized I wasn't going to be able to stay at the command I was at forever. I was pampered and it was a nice place to be. Got all these benefits and stuff that I was going to have to go back and like be a sailor again. I didn't really want to do that. And uh, the command I was at lent itself to, it opened my eyes to um, the different companies and the kind of the private sector a little mm-hmm. bit. We worked a little bit with civilians. So um, at one point towards the end of my tenure there, um, got tasked with something, um, that we didn't have the equipment for, for a deployment. So I grabbed a couple buddies and we made something to fix that. Interesting. Um, and the Navy buys it now on a contract. <laughs> um, I don't get any, I don't see any of that money, but, um, 
that kind of opened my eyes to like, oh, wow. Like, um, yeah, running around doing the cool guy stuff, jumping on airplanes and target practice is fun and all. But um, this, the, this whole making something is pretty rewarding. Like, maybe I should do that. It's kind of a that thought lingered and lingered and grew and grew. And finally I was like, you know what, like let's legitimize this and go be an engineer. Yeah. So, cause when I was kind of talking through, you know, looking at your transcripts and I, we'll have a conversation about your um, admissions process here in a bit, but your intended major was electrical engineering. So was it at that moment that you were kind of like building, you know, the, this product that you thought, of electrical engineering or had you ever kind of like dipped your toe in that, that field at all before? So, um, the job I did worked with RF a lot, radio frequency propagation and that sort of thing, which is, uh, an electrical engineering section, uh, it's in electrical engineering. Mm -hmm. So when I needed to build that thing for that deployment, um, I went to the workshop and I, I grabbed, a, I was like, you build things? Yeah. Okay, cool. Help me, please. And he was like kind of our fabricator. His name is Joey. Awesome. Great friend now. Didn't know him at the time. And then, um, well, anytime we had technical stuff, I would go grab Prasanna, who is a, uh, an electrical engineer in our research and development uh, section. And he was always so helpful. He's such a good teacher. And like... I found myself, I would get the answer to my question, but really I just wanted to ask more questions. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, ah, well, this is, this is really cool. Like maybe, maybe I can do what you did. And you know, now that I'm here, I'm thinking maybe I'll do computer engineering. Okay. I'm not sure. That's the nice thing about Brown. You don't really have to pick till junior year, but. Yeah. That you get the opportunity to explore a bit. Um, okay. So you would kind of come to that point where like, I can do some of this in the civilian sector, but did you ever have that crossroads where it's like, do I really need to go back to school for that? Or did you know that, okay, from talking to, you know, the individual that you were working with, that it was going to require um, a college degree? Hmm. I don't. <clears throat> yeah, a lot of people. So uh, when I said I was going to get out, then my initial thought was if I'm getting out, I'm going to school. Mm-hmm. And um, a few, like most of the pushback from peers was like, why you can go be an FSR for this company or that company and that company and get paid good money. You know, so-and-so just got out and making one seventy five, And I'm like, that sounds sweet, but like, I, I want to make things like I probably not going to get an immediate return on investment comparatively, but like in the long term I will. And in the short term, I'll be doing what I like. Yeah. So. Very smart of you. Um, okay. So now you've decided you're getting out the college application process is in front of you. We talked to applicants a lot and they're like, you know, I knew I wanted to go to school, but didn't really know kind of what that entailed or where to start. And they just kind of start Googling. Right. And that's honestly how a lot of people find us, um, here at service to school is they, they were just Googling, you know, how to apply to college as a veteran. Um, but I think one thing that we find applicants share is that kind of like unknown of like, where do I start? Right. Um, so I guess I'm trying to get at how did you figure out where to start? So I, I think service to school was like one of the first things I found. And I ended up talking to someone, I think it was you, the, the first person I talked to. Um, and I got an idea of like, yeah, I'm behind on some things. I need 
you know, I haven't taken classes in 10 years and blah, blah, blah. But I had this, um, veterans should be confident applying to school. They have something that most applicants don't have. However, I had, I think I had an overconfidence in other aspects. So, um, I was like, you know what? I can get into whatever school I want to. I, you know, I, I, against all odds, I did this and I did this and I did that. I can, you know, whatever. So I'll take a few classes. In, in the meantime, I'll go ahead and apply and maybe I'll get accepted anyways. So I started building that, like, pl- my plan out, which was make a list of dream schools. And again, overconfidence. I was like, have no safety schools in here. <laughs> Those off the table. Um, and I signed up for like three college classes at once while working full time. And then when it all came together, it was pretty, (laughs) it was quite a bit to manage. Yeah. I mean, even just managing the admissions process alone is a lot to manage with all the essays and, but to then throw classes on there working full time. um, A lot of, you know, applicants come to us and like, I didn't realize how much work the application cycle was going to be. Right. And I think it's kind of back to your point where like, I'll just, you know, throw it out there and see what happens. Um, I've used this analogy on the podcast before, but it college admissions is not like playing the lotto, right? The giant mega millions that just got, you know, some one person won last night. Um, but it's not like you're buying one lotto ticket to, you know, the same lottery. You're buying eight lotto tickets to different lotteries, right? When you're applying to especially some of these more selective institutions. Um, so it's like, you know, to not give the thought and the attention, the detail to some of these, you know, tougher essays that you might be writing or the stories that you're sharing. Um, it kind of feels like you're, you know, it's at the odds of like getting that winning Powerball number. Um, what are your thoughts around kind of the, the first cycle and what maybe you would have done differently? Yeah, I think, um, I think I took the mentality of, uh, it's like a job application. You see people apply for jobs. They build a resume. They put all as much of the stuff that they could think of that they did good that makes them look good on a resume. They send that resume to as many jobs as they can possibly find that they would like. <clears throat> but, and of course, you, you tweak your resume per job a little bit, but I don't think it's comparable to the college application thing because like the questions are different, right? Mm-hmm. Like every job asks for a resume at you know, you Chicago might have seven essays you have to write for them. And this other school has, you know, 15, but they're all 50 words, mm-hmm. right? Every, it's you, you're restarting every, every school one and they all have different personalities. And, uh, yeah, I think so d- dialing back first time, uh, first, first the application cycle, I took the idea, I took, I had the mindset of like, okay, I want to be an engineer. So MIT and then Google, okay, number two, engineering school, okay, cool, that one. Number three, right? And uh, it's not, not, I don't don't think that was the smart way to go about it. Um, But I kind of just thought that I needed to throw all my accolades and my achievements and brag about myself and really show like, I did these things, I'm I'm good. and I got rejected from every school I applied to. So I remember when you sent me that email, um, I have like it noted in your file with us, you know, did not gain admission to any school he applied to. Let's re-engage. 
<laughs> and that's never a fun email to send, right? But it's always kind of the, okay, so what are we going to do now, right? You can't send, you can't apply again and send the exact same application, right? You're most likely going to have the same decision. So what are we going to do now to strengthen your application so you can provide additional information to the admissions committee? So what did you do? This is going to sound really corny, but I was I was like, you know what? The hell with it. I'm just going to pour myself onto these pieces of paper or electronic paper. Right? I was like, I'm just going to be me and be like, this is John. I'm ridiculous. Sometimes I talk too much and I'm a nerd. Here you go. Uh, the, you know, I'm, I'm at Brown now, um, or I start in a couple weeks, but the essay that, uh, like a couple admissions people have mentioned to me, they, they're like, they, that the one they remember was me nerding out about how much I like mush, mushrooms, like mycology. And then I want to build a tank, an enclosure to make a self-sustained, like growing environment for them. Has nothing to do with getting bad guys or military or anything. I was like, I'm a super nerd. <laughs> and I found a math equation that would teach me how to make a cooler for this enclosure. And it's cool. And they loved it. Yes. Right. So be yourself, I guess, is as, as terrible of an answer as that is. I think it's the best answer. Absolutely. And that's so much of, you know, I was talking to one of our applicants, he's at MIT, and he's like, everyone here is the Olympian of computer science, right? Like all of our partner schools, a lot of schools across the country could truly fill their entire incoming class with students that have a 4.0 GPA. They, you know, transferred from a top, you know, state school or community college. They have done all of these incredible, you know, accomplishments, right? But at the end of the day, that's not what they want on their campuses. They want the John Greens that are unique, that they know are going to contribute to their community, right? And I think so many times applicants get lost in that, like, oh, well, I've done all the checkmark things. I've done everything they're asking me to do. That's not who they want in their, on their campus. You know, they, they want those unique individuals that are going to, like, bring some spunk to the classroom conversations that aren't going to be the, like, I always chalk it up to being like a computer algorithm, right? Like, they aren't truly going through applications and kind of looking for that perfect student. They're looking for the students like, like, like that essay you just explained. They gather that information about you all as an applicant through those essays, through that personality. And there's, I mean, I think kind of taking that shift in the mindset of like not trying to be who you thought they were that first round, just being yourself that second round um, obviously served you well because now you're going to Brown this fall. One thing I did notice too, so right, that first admission cycle, you said no safeties. These are the schools I'm shooting for. And you kind of just, you know, threw spaghetti at the wall to see what stuck. But I have in my notes, the second round, you had some safety schools on there. I did. I didn't actually end up applying because I got accepted to Brown fast enough. I didn't even have to. <laughs> But yeah, I was 100% going to apply to some safety schools. And those safety schools, thinking back, would have been a better situation than some of the schools I applied to the first time around. And why do you I think just, that? Um, man, what would be a good example? I'm not going to name anything because I don't want anyone to be offended that they were a safety school. But <laughs> there's a, a school that I could have went to. I would have been near all sorts of family. 
they uh, just stood up a engineering department. So out of in Navy speak, I'd have almost been a plank owner for their engineering program, right? But the class size would have been super duper small because again, brand new engineering program. They're still ABET accredited and all that, so it's a good program. Mm -hmm. um, but I would have had a support system. I'd have had uh, very close class. I could ask a million questions, all that I ever wanted. You know, it would be, it would have been a much better situation than going to a state school and sitting in class with five hundred people mm -hmm. for sure. Yep, absolutely. How did you find those schools when you were looking to kind of add those? I would say less selective schools to your list. That one I found by proximity. It just happened to be close to uh, when I didn't get accepted to school. Uh, I went to stay with family while I reapplied. And that school is close to a bunch of family I have in Texas. Um, so, and I have a cousin that went there. And so I was like, okay, now I'll take a look at it. And, then, you know, now that it, you know, I look back and think about it, I was like, that, you know, that would have been a good situation too. It definitely would have been better than getting accepted to a state school in a state I've never been to, yeah, which is, would have been one of the options first time. Absolutely. And when we, we talk to students kind of about like, you know, building out this balanced list, I encourage them, all of the schools on your list should be schools that you truly would be happy going to. Um, you can find schools that will check that reach target likely category um, that you're happy going to. They're strong academically. They have your academic major, right? And I think, like you said, that is a school that you would still be supported. You would still thrive there. Um, so much of, you know, I think gets lost and it's like, well, I don't want to go to the safety or like, you know, that fallback plan. It's like at the end of the day, that's a stepping stone in your career, in your journey, right? It's not the end all be all, but it is smart to have a plan B, to have that backup plan. Um, and, you know, for you, it, it kind of checked a lot of those boxes, but obviously, yeah, the ultimate hope is that you get into you know, one of your reach or one of your dream schools, right? Like that's, yeah, that's absolutely what everyone's looking for. Um, so I was, when I, you sent me that updated list the second time, I was like, these are all great. I love, I loved it. <laughs> I was like cheering for you to get some of the more selective schools, but obviously knew that you would land somewhere um, that you were going to be able to thrive. Like I said. Something that was interesting about that second list that I discovered uh, while making it was, now, I wouldn't consider it a safety school. It's still not an easy school to get into. But um, I built out my second list and started applying to all the schools. And I realized, like, so Colorado School of Mines was on my list. And it wasn't near the top when it came to how selective it was or how, you know, everyone's heard of Harvard mm -hmm. and MIT and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't in that category. But to me, it was it was really strongly competing for second place. Brown was first. But and I I can't tell you why it was just I you know did a lot of reading and talked to people I was like man that seems like a fun place to go to school yep. it's exactly what and I had never heard of it before but it just so that's my two cents for someone who's hard hell bent on going to an Ivy League like yes Ivy League schools from being at Brown so far it seems like it's gonna be pretty amazing but there's awesome other schools out there too. Yeah. I think I even actually in my email back to you pointed out like mines is great for exactly what you want to do. Um, it's kind of like this, a sleeper school. I always try and like plug, you know, really strong academic sleeper schools um, just to kind of like test the waters a bit that, you know, there are some other incredible schools across the country pumping out great research and, you know, opportunities 
that you know a lot of people just haven't heard of. Um, so good plug from School of the Minds there. Um, okay, so you completed the second admission cycle successfully. Um, you know, now we are looking towards what fall 2023 enrollment. So you'll be starting there. Um, along the way, you had completed some prerequisites, right? So you had taken college algebra, pre-calc. Um, how much of that do you, did you find, you know, was your purpose to transfer those credits or kind of what was your mindset around taking those specific classes? So I'm starting at Brown as a day one freshman. <clears throat> so um, I guess you could say that my classes aren't transferring, but I'm not like, I haven't even inquired about that. I'm cool with just starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. Like, shit, I'm going to soak up as much of this as I can, right? Um, <laughs> but, <clears throat> and I'm here because I like to learn, right? So yep. like, I'm not upset about taking an extra class. Um, the But I am finding that it does, it does transfer still, even though it doesn't like on paper, right? Like um, a lot of this is like, so my first semester, I'm going to take a, a chemistry class and a math class that both don't necessarily have prerequisites, but having taken chemistry one and played around with calculus a little bit, it's going to help a lot going into those, those classes. Um, that and I would say the confidence of knowing that like I can get a 96 in a physics class makes me, you know, that, that helped me realize like, man, I can do this college thing. It's not, I got bad grades in high school because I was a bad high schooler, not because I was a dumb. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, gosh, you're hitting on so many points that I feel like I talk through with applicants, right? Like they might not take that transfer credit one for one, right? You might not get chemistry 101 because you took it at a community college or you took it elsewhere. But at the end of the day, it's still worth your time, right? Like for you to be able to show to these admissions officers that you can do college level work and you can do it well and you can take rigorous classes, that gives them, you know, some kind of hope that you're going to be able to do well on their campus, right? So if it's yeah. not that like true transfer credit piece, like you said, it still benefits you and it still gives you kind of that foundation now. So when you do start classes, you're not like, what is a mole? I've never even heard of, you know, that word. So it's, those classes are why I got in to Brown. So last year when I applied, I got, you know, I got rejected from all the schools, but the last school to give me an answer waitlisted me and it was Brown. And I was like, hold on, how did I get rejected from three state schools and get waitlisted in an Ivy League school? What's going on? So I reached out to the Office of Military Affiliated Students at Brown. I was like, yeah, I mean, I was like, could I like do a tour, get up and introduce myself to somebody? Like, how do I get this across the finish line? They're like, I mean, if you want to come take a campus tour, there's, there's like one week, of the, next, the last one is day after tomorrow. I was like, great, see you tomorrow. I got my truck and I drove up to Providence, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the someone in admissions uh, met me and we walked around campus and kind of talked. And uh, while we were talking, uh, he said, you, you noticed you're taking some community classes. I was like, yeah, I wasn't. Able, they weren't able to finish in time for applications, but um, uh, I did pretty well. He's like, well, how'd you do? I was like, well, I got an, I got an A in all three classes. He stopped and he looked at me. He's like, you, you did? I was like, yeah. He's like, you should submit that as soon as you can. It's like, okay. But then, you know, I submitted it. I still didn't end up getting elevated from the wait list. It's kind of late by that point. Mm-hmm. Next cycle, I submitted it and like, it's, it's immediately accepted, right? You could, 
I could see that like that's what they were looking for. This I, I mean I got a two point seven or two point five GPA in high school, and I got accepted to an Ivy League school because I was able to show them like that was high school John, thirty mm-hmm. year old John gets A's. I promise. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that's made a huge made a huge difference, right? Um, so when we work with students, sometimes they're like, well, you know, I, I've heard it's harder to apply to these schools as a transfer student. And it's like the process is nuanced, right? And that's kind of what service to school is here to kind of shake out that like murkiness of the college admissions process. So you worked on a vet link addendum too, right? Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, that was, uh, another situation of, um, me needing to be myself and not throw my accolades at people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the vetting addendum is awesome. It The college application process isn't built for uh, jaded vets. It's built for high schoolers, right? Because uh, that's 99% of the people who are applying to college. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, same story. At first, I thought I needed to shove as much stuff into this essay at the end as possible. But the second time around, I deleted that essay and I put in uh, just like about me, 700 words. Yep. And uh, got much better, much, much better, better feedback from it. Yeah. And you talked about, you know, the admissions process isn't for adult learners, which you're absolutely correct there. Does that cause any anxiety for you going to a college campus where most of your classmates are going to be traditional high school age students? So uh, I guess there's probably two answers to this. First, first answer would be the um, lots of anxiety came with being afraid that my application would cross their desk. They would open it, see 2.5 GPA and throw it in the trash and not read the rest of it. Not even get to the part that that was 10 years ago and all that stuff, which a plug for Brown. They have a veteran specific application. Everybody, it's pretty great. Um, but the second part of being surrounded by um, younger folks, I mean, um, yeah, I'm excited about it. Like, I, it's, it's, I'm not, these are like, so far from these, you know, lower 20s kids I've met, they're all like pretty smart. Yep. They're, they're more, more mature than you would expect uh, someone who recently left high school. And I'm actually getting a lot of advice from them as opposed to the other way around. Like, hey, am I going to drown in this course load? Oh, you'll be fine. That professor sucks, but you'll be good. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's, it's been chill. You know? Yeah, good. So looking towards the future, you know, aside from being around smart individuals, aside from your love for learning, and there's probably nowhere better to do it than a school like Brown, what are you most excited about? Oh, man. Aside from learning, that a thousand percent would have been my answer. So Brown has, uh, the way you pick classes at Brown is called the open curriculum. So there's no general education requirements. So, right, like, let's say, you know, uh, state school tech has five classes that if you go to state school tech, you have to take these five classes, like American history, English 101, whatever. Brown has no general education requirements. The only requirements are the requirements for your major. So, you know, if you have an engineering degree, that's quite a bit of classes. But like if you are going to Brown for political science, of the 30 classes you take, you only have nine required classes. You take 21 classes that are whatever you want. And uh, 
I'm looking forward to, granted as a as an engineering major, it's the opposite. I have 21 required classes and nine electives, but um, I'm looking forward to exploring, kind of uh, figuring out, maybe I find a, a, a category outside of engineering that I've, you know, didn't know I was interested in yeah. and uh, kind of, I guess, self-rediscovery of, you know, I'm not in the military anymore. What what are we doing now? Mm-hmm. Type of thing. For sure. And then as we wrap up, you know, from someone who had a 2.7 high school GPA, was denied that first round, was successful the second round going to Brown. Um, looking back, what advice do you have for those individuals that can kind of resonate with your story? Okay. Biggest biggest advice I have for someone that's in a similar situation I was in is uh, don't so be confident. Be confident that you have something that a lot of people don't have and you've done a lot of things that a lot of people haven't. Uh, don't be overconfident in the fact, that, like I was, that oh, I'm 28, 29 years old. What can an 18-year-old have on me? That's not true because there's some ridiculously impressive 18-year-olds out there. It will shock you. Um, then the second piece of advice is uh, take some college classes. Prove that you can do it now. Right. Uh, yes, these schools are going to frame this as like we are. Thank you for your service. We're glad to have you. But uh, you're also trying to join their club. So prove that you can play their sport. Yeah. Um, and don't let your emotions control your decisions. Uh, choosing schools, you know, Harvard isn't your only choice. Right. Like find those Colorado school of mines. That's a, a, a gym and a lot of people don't know about. It's a great school and it fits you perfectly. Yes, absolutely. I can't tell you how many people I talk to a week. And they're like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to apply to all the IVs. I'm like, well, you realize that's an athletic conference, first of all. Um, <laughs> but the second part is they're all very different. They are, you know, all every school in the ACC. Yes, they have similarities, but they're different, right? Like, Think about how big these sports conferences are getting these days. The schools that are, you know, grouped together have similarities, but they are very different experiences. And I think to your point, you know, figure out what that experience is supposed to look like for you, what you want that experience to look like and go after it. If that could be at Harvard, that could be at Brown, but it could also be at an incredible school like Colorado School of Mines. So John, thank you so much for sharing, you know, your story. I just am like beaming because I can only imagine the incredible things you're going to do there. And I know we're going to stay in touch and that I will probably reach out to you, you know, after your first semester, your first year and beg you to come to some service to school events just to speak to the incredible stuff that you're doing. Um, And you're enjoying an incredible community there as well of, you know, former service to school applicants, but also veterans as well. So very excited to see kind of where you take this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I'll be glad to pay it back. Uh, hit, hit me up, and I'll be, I'll be there. Absolutely. That's all we have for this episode. Join us next week, same time, same place, where we share more Service to School stories. Service to School Stories is hosted by Sydney Mathis, Chief Program Officer, and Alec Emmert, Service to School CEO. Our podcast is produced and edited by our Director of Communication, Amanda Tobias. Services School is a 501c3 nonprofit providing free college admission support to transitioning service members and veterans. Join us next week and follow us for more on your favorite social media platforms.